If it is the motivation that allows people to change their habits, which would be the plant slant, which would be the move naturally, if that's what allows them to change their habits, then it's the value. It's not the value in recording my glucose that's the value. It's the value that now you're aware of what you're eating. Hello and welcome to the Consistency Project Podcast. My name is Patrick Cummings. As always, I'm here with E.C. Sinkowski. Every week here on the show, we aim to simplify the science of nutrition, health, and fitness cutting through the noise to focus on the principles and practices that will help you perform better, feel better, and live better. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. How are you, EC? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Long-time listeners will recognize that that was a slightly different introduction to this uh, mm. this year episode. We've we've shortened it a little bit. We focused it a little bit. We are we're going to play with our format just a little bit here. It's going to be everything that folks have come to know and love, uh, but maybe a little bit more of it. So what we're going to do uh, starting this week, we're going to have kind of two parts to our conversation. We're going to do our sort of regular EC deep dive where we go deep on either the science or or nutrition or fitness. And then we are going to do a little close at the end. And that close at the end is going to come from, again, folks who have listened before, it's going to be a quick bite or a hot cake or a diet review, things that we often do in fuller episodes. We're going to sort of uh, take them a little bit by bit and uh, close out each episode with them. So this week we've got in our main conversation uh, about, we're going to talk about the new documentary series on Netflix about the blue zones, which are places in the world that have an unusually high percentage of the population living to 100. And then we're going to close up the conversation with some recent news, specifically a report about influential dietitians peddling practices, supplements, and beliefs that run counter to scientific consensus. So that is what we've got this week. Are you ready for our main chat here, EC? I sure am. All right. I, I love that the you said this on social media recently. You were like, I am actually keeping up with people in culture. <laughs> I'm watching the Blue Zones documentary, so let's, let's which is uh, not your not not how you usually do things. So let's start there. Yeah. What are we talking about? What are the Blue Zones? Why are we interested in them? Why is there why is there enough interest that there's a documentary about them? Yeah. So a man named Dan Butner, he's credited with identifying these Blue Zones, and these are these five geographical areas in the world where the chances of living to over 100 years old is 10 times greater than that chance in the U.S. So the stats I saw online, online it's about one in 5,000 people live to be 100 in the U.S. And so that would be more than one in 500 people in these blue zones reach over 100. And even if people aren't reaching 100 in these zones, I think it's pretty clear that these cultures tend to have more elderly people into their 80s, into their 90s, with a really high quality of life, kind of li living independently, more so on average than we do. I mean, you know, they're sitting on the floor for dinner and they're out gardening and all of this stuff. So these blue zones are in Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Italy, Ikaria, Greece, Nicoya, Costa Rica. And actually, the fifth one is pretty interesting because it's outside of LA, Los Angeles, Loma Linda, California. So Dan and his research team, they wanted to determine the secrets of longevity in these areas. And so what they did is they kind of went to these different areas to study them, and they came up with these, what they call the power nine, or essentially nine principles common to these locations. Um, you know, obviously, it makes sense of, okay, what are they doing there? Let's try to make some collective observations as a good place to start of how to create a better chance at longevity. And I do think it's important to point out that, you know, just because those cultures are getting to 100 at a higher rate than we are, a higher likelihood, it doesn't necessarily mean that what they are doing is 
optimal for longevity. It just means that what they are doing is potent, you know, helping them live to that current state. But maybe there is some practice that could be even better than that. So these power nine principles, what they came up with, the first one is move naturally. And they really mean, you know, it's not about doing marathons and going to the gym every day, but kind of have movement built into your life, like gardening, as I mentioned. The second one is having a purpose. They say that, you know, knowing your purpose in life could add seven years to your lifespan. The third one is to what they say is downshift, have a way to kind of reduce stress. Maybe that's simply going to happy hour with your social buddies. Maybe that's praying. Maybe that's just a reflective point during the day. They then have number four is their 80% rule, which is about stopping when you're eating, when you're 80% full. The fifth one is also related to diet. They call it a plant slant, where it's a largely plant-based diet, especially beans. They do focus on that. And one of the articles I saw, Butner says to limit your meat consumption to about five times um, a month. The sixth one is wine at five. So some people might like this one, right? Moderate drinks, uh, one to two per day. And it typically happens either in a social gathering or with a dinner. The seventh one is belong, find some faith-based community, which is really interesting here is it seems like the, the denomination doesn't actually matter, but being part of a community does. The eighth one is loved ones first, meaning, of course, focus on family first. Maybe your parents live nearby, you can help them out type of stuff. And then the ninth one is finding the right tribe. And so this is even beyond the faith-based kind of belonging. This is having that social circle that will support these healthy behaviors. Uh, and this is just, I actually don't know the answer. I know it's a documentary now. Was was this a series of books first? What, like mm-hmm. where, this didn't just come, like I've heard Blue Zones for a long time, but do we have any sense of how long Butner's been working on this? Not that it really matters. I'm just curious. Yeah, I actually don't know when he first identified the Blue Zones, but he's certainly been around for a while. And as we're going to talk about, he's been implementing some of these practices in cities around the US. And so there's been lots cool. of different reports on it. Whether or not there's official books, I actually don't know either. Got it. Cool. Okay. Relatively irrelevant. Okay. So power nine. I love that. Um, in terms of nutrition recommendations, what are your, what's your opinions on those, those sort of those nine principles? Yeah. I think overarching before we even get into the nutrition stuff, I think just generally broad brush, I think the power nine principles are great. You know, what I love to point out about these principles is what's not on there. What's not on there is whether or not you're eating like 0.7 or 0.9 grams per pound of protein. And what's not on there is whether or not you had a post-workout protein shake 30 minutes after your last workout. What's not on there is whether you need a continuous glucose monitor to be healthy or whether or not you should take colostrum as a supplement, right? And so as much as I love nutrition and as much as I know that it is part of our overall health picture, it really is just a part. And so again, if we kind of look back at those nine and think about, okay, well, which ones are really nutrition focused? There's really only three. There's the one about stopping at 80% full. So that's related to quantity. There's the one, of course, about eating uh, this plant slant. And so that's kind of about quality. And then we have that other one that's related to having some uh, alcohol, which we're going to come back to. But basically that leaves six of the nine majority are not related to diet at all. And this is something that we actually brought up in the, um, I think it was like the 1% Better Every Day podcast, but there was this article we talked about called The 10 Determinants of Healthy Aging, which is quite similar to the Power Nine in the sense of a broad brush concept. I mean, they looked at um, these different factors and they determined that, yeah, diet and exercise were important, 
to longevity or healthy aging, but so is self-awareness and so is attitude and so was lifelong learning and so was social support and all of this stuff. And so again, diet is just sort of part of the overall picture. It's not the only thing to focus on. And so it reminds me of my principle five, right? It's never one thing. There is this point at which focusing on one thing will in fact be at the expense of all of the other things that are important. And it's so interesting to also just think about how focusing on some things that are seemingly unrelated could be so positive. I mean, we talk a lot about that in terms of maybe exercise and the positive effect on nutrition, but I was just thinking about kind of reflecting on the power nine, how impactful for someone to know their purpose in life or to have social support, what that could do for their healthy eating behaviors, just their motivation to want to make better choices that way, right? And instead, I find in nutrition, we often are in the weeds of, you know, which non-dairy coffee creamer is best or something like that. And so, you know, I do like to remind people that I don't think that what the Blue Zones are doing are necessarily the most optimal practices always, but until our culture is sort of in the ballpark of them, I think it is kind of a good overview of practices to look at and to think about, okay, where am I kind of out of whack relative to what their big picture is? Mm. And the thing in those looking at those nine that that's, pops out at me and you, you, you sort of triggered it when you said, uh, you know, there's, there's no continuous glucose monitors here, right? There's no, there's no quote unquote cutting edge science. There's no technology. There's no, there's nothing there that has been created any time in the last, let's just for the sake of a number, 50 years. All of those things are things that have existed that we have actually moved away from. And yet all of these, all again, all of the continuous glucose monitors and all the science, cutting edge science, technology, it's all trying to move us towards that. And in, in, a, in many ways, it's sort of like what you and I have joked about, which is like, you know, your fruits and vegetables marketing department, right? Like that you're trying to move people back to what perhaps it used to be or where it was more often than it is now where all of this, you know, again, cutting edge, it's all trying to move us towards that. And that's, that's the thing that I look or think about with those, those power nine, which is like, oh, it's all, none of it is cutting edge. None of it is science. Again, quote unquote science. science. Yeah, I love it. Totally. I mean, that's where all this health tech stuff is such a distraction, in my opinion. And, and the only real value I see of it, and I think we've kind of addressed before, is if it is the motivation that allows people to change their habits, which would be the plant slant, which would be the move naturally. If that's what allows them to change their habits, then it's the value. It's not the value in recording my glucose. That's the value. It's the value that now you're aware of what you're eating. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so I, I think I remember asking this in the, we did a, an episode on like the longevity diet. I don't know, remember if that's exactly yeah. what it's called, but where it's just like, it's such an interesting and challenging claim to make. Like this is the, this is the source of the secret to longevity, right? Cause like, how do you demonstrate that a certain diet or practices with these nine principles really do result in living to be a hundred year olds? Cause like, you can't really study that. Like, that's not like, there's no control there. There's like nobody signing up to like, yes, I will dedicate the next 50 years of my life to these practices. So therefore I can prove that X, Y, and Z. So like, Talk to us a little bit about the challenges here that that are sort of inherent in this argument that like, here are the blue zones, here are the nine principles, or here are the, the practices that build blue zones. Totally. Yeah. I mean, trying to prove this idea of these power nine exactly 
lead to longevity is, is pretty hard to do, as you mentioned. I mean, most people <clears throat> are not willing to give up their life to be a science experiment. And the few that may be, I think we talked about one of them in a hot cake, um, you know, it still takes an incredibly long amount of time to test different hypotheses, because of course we have to see that each test gets to 100. <laughs> so we don't have, you know, this ironclad science to say that these power nine are in fact the nine factors that will lead to an increased risk of, you know, of being over 100. It certainly is still observational. But one of the things I really like about the whole Blue Zones initiatives, I kind of hinted at it already earlier, is that they are trying to implement these practices or these principles in different um, towns across America. And so they mentioned this in the documentary, but you can also find some of this evidence online in various articles. But Dan speaks to his kind of belief of helping people achieve a better lifespan is that we need to change the policies that shape our environment that will help us result in better decisions. And so in 2009, um, it's a town in Minnesota called Albert Lee. They became patient zero, if you will, of trying to be a blue zone and uh, trying to adapt you know, modern life to blue zone principles. And so a big part of the city plan or the town plan was to make it more bike and pedestrian friendly, which also in turn helped kind of revitalize the downtown. Um, there was also more efforts to add just healthy food options and even education at grocery stores and cafes and events. Um, they increased the public space for gardening. So you could kind of do the shared plots type of stuff. There was also a lot of effort into stopping smoking. Um, you know, smoking rates in, our, in the U.S. have declined overall, but I think it's about 12% of adults still smoke. And so this clearly wasn't a Blue Zone issue, but they've kind of incorporated this into Blue Zone initiatives um, because it's still quite a health issue for us and obviously has a, a bunch of different uh, disease risks with it. And so what was interesting about this initiative is they reported more than $8 million in annual health care savings for employers and that they had about 2.9 years of additional lifespan added within one year of the project. And so now I think there's about 70 communities in the U.S. that are trying to follow this model. And I think it's great. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about how important food environment is and how important it is to make it easy to make the right decision. We often talk about that in the home environment, right? You control what you can control. Make sure your house is um, clean, if you will, from um, all of these foods that are over tempting. And I've also suggested that I think there should be some regulation in, in how many different places the processed foods are sold. Or maybe we should have some regulation that every time you go to a checkout, they can't have all of the processed stuff. Instead, that we should put things like fruits at the checkout or something like that and make the healthier, better decision easier. And so that's what Dan and his team is really just doing on a much larger scale, right? And and hats off to them because, you know, they could have gone an entirely different direction with this. They could have been just selling, you know, a specific tea blend or something from Greece. And yes, they have some of these cooking and, and other products online to buy. But the fact that they're also going into towns and working with city governments and zoning and construction to kind of overhaul environments to really bring theory into practice, I think is really admirable and, and quite cool to see. Um, what are in your mind, what are some of the weaknesses of something of like somebody trying to adopt a lifestyle more in line with the, the power nine? Like where maybe where have you seen people go wrong? Or can you theoretically imagine um, something not working? Yeah. Yeah. It's always going to come back to that whole picture 
right? You you can't kind of focus at any one factor independent of the others, like picking one thing to work on. You got to kind of think about how it fits into all of the other nine. <laughs> you know, again, I can see somebody loving that wine at five power nine principle, <laughs> just to sort of be like, yes, I can have my wine. Um, when in reality, it's probably not the wine that really has a lot of health benefit. So there was actually a study that was released early this year that got a good amount of traction I saw on social media. It's the Zao paper in the show notes, but a meta-analysis. So they're looking at over 100 different studies, over 4 million people. And basically, they were looking at this claim about we've heard that moderate drinking is healthy. And they found that moderate consumption, so that's up to two drinks a day, was not more healthy than having no drinks at all. And that, of course, over two drinks a day does, does come with increased health risk. So it sort of nullified this idea that moderate drinking is healthy, even though in the blue zones, we see it's part of their lifestyle and they're, you know, living over to 100. So what's going on? Well, in the blue zones, the wine is typically had with dinner, which of course is this whole food um, collection, you know, lots of plants there. It's not at some sort of bar crawl. And it's typically happening in a social gathering scenario where they have that social support and the connection with people. Um, and so that is really why I believe the wine is, quote, healthy in a blue zone context. It's not necessarily the wine per se. It's because they have the rest of the diet to balance it out. And they also then are doing it in a way that brings in these other factors like belonging and social support. Another thing is that I kind of wanted to bring up about how we have to always think about the whole picture is one of the power nine is to move naturally. And it's almost said with this opinion that doing something like intense working out or doing marathons is a negative thing. And that could be kind of harmful. Um, and I was thinking about that because that's kind of at odds what we talked about in an old episode about performance and longevity, where we found that really high level athletes, even at the Olympic level, that that type of athleticism was associated with a greater chance of longevity. And so that going to the gym and doing all of this volume didn't necessarily have all these problems. And so that's sort of at odds with what the Blue Zones is saying. And so the way I sort of reconcile this again is it's not focusing on any one factor to be optimal. Alcohol might not be optimal, but it's within the context of how the others are playing out. <clears throat> Maybe you're choosing to do a high exercise volume for performance, but how is it in the context of your whole life that maybe, you know, you are a high level athlete, but you also are doing a high level diet and you have a sense of purpose and you have a sense of social structure and feeling like you belong, like how powerful is that? And so it's really kind of thinking about, um, am I getting 80% across all of the pillars versus maybe being a hundred percent in three or four of them? Yeah, I love that. Um, what about the, the, and I, I think I'm two episodes into the, into the series. And mm -hmm. the, the, the thing that popped out at me was the, um, the plant based, or I think you called it like the plant slant, uh, angle that they, they recommend. Um, I think you mentioned that, that part of that is like five times a month. They eat, they, they recommend eating meat. Like that's okay. That's different. That, that is yeah. significantly different than what you and I have talked about here, uh, right. uh almost every single week. So like, Talk to us a little bit about are they are they arguing something different than you're arguing or or like how do we square those two things? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely the protein consumption is going to be lower and protein consumption from meat is going to be lower than what we've talked about or said what's healthy for sure. Um, we did do that recent podcast on low protein intake and longevity and kind of 
showed why those claims are incorrect. So you can kind of go back for those specific studies and science on that. Um, but I do think we have evidence that having a lot of plants in the diet is a good thing. And that should come as no surprise since my first recommendation for people is the 800 gram challenge, which is more than what 90% of people are eating right now. So you can say I've been advocating for a pretty big plant slant since day one, right? So it shouldn't be like, wow, EC is not plant-based. It's like, whoa, guys, hold on, 800 gram challenge. Um, but I think then there's still questions of, okay, is longevity better if I eat something like a 0.7 grams per pound protein or what happens to me if I eat a one gram per pound level of protein? And that's where it's just sort of like shoulder shrug. You know, if let's say we've got two people, let's just say identical twins, so the genetics are the same, but they're eating this 800 grams of fruits and vegetables, they're getting enough fiber in the diet. We don't have a ton of evidence to suggest that the 0.1 person, I'm sorry, the 0.7 person is going to live longer than the one gram per pound. Um, you know, we, we talked about and kind of dismantled the idea that the IGF-1 claim related to higher protein intakes is just not true. So, you know, this is a lot of it with science. It's like, do we have all of this evidence to suggest that people really need low protein? No, we don't. Blue zones, what we know is that we know that you don't need 0.7, let's say, or you don't need one gram per pound to reach 100 with a high quality of life. But that does not necessarily mean that eating 0.7 or one gram per pound will not get you to that age either, right? Knowing what can work and, and what is optimal are really two different questions. And so again, I like to kind of show the alcohol thing, like adding alcohol to the diet doesn't seem to reduce health risk yet you can live a long time drinking alcohol. And so this is where we just have to be a little bit cautious of being like, okay, well, what the blue zones did is optimal, right? They have some good principles overall, but some of the specifics are just less clear. We say that, you know, I don't really know. So for people that are worried about protein intake and longevity, I guess where I would land right now is that the more protein somebody has in the diet, the more I'm concerned about keeping the plant matter high, a la 800 gram challenge level or more, right? And I would also, the more that my protein climbed, I would be less fixated on, okay, what are my total protein grams? And more looking at my protein sources. How much of that total protein grams is red processed meat, which we talked about in the Cancer Risk Podcast? How much of that total protein grams has a lot of saturated fat in it, which we talked about in a podcast. How much of that total protein grams is contributing to my sodium content in my diet? So I think there starts to be some other concerns when the protein starts to climb. And from my perspective, it's a little bit less about protein grams and more about some of the other qualities of the food, a la the processing, the red process, the, uh, the sodium, and um, the saturated fat content than it is per se the protein grams. Got it. Okay. Um, we've talked about it before, and I think we've, we talked about it when we did, we did a, a brief thing on the Game Changers talk when you did finally watch it. Like, so we've talked about the, I don't know if dangers are the right word, but like the dangers of uh, documentary and the illusion of, you know, fact versus opinion and all these things. But, um, you know, we've been talking about the blue zones in uh, as a principle or as something that is principle based, right? These power nine. But uh, as a documentary, like you, you've watched, like, what did you think about it? Is it worth watching? Is it worth watching to get a better sense of what these power nine principles are so that maybe we can figure out how to implement them in our own lives? Mm. I think it was 
pretty good. I mean, I sat down with like kind of the pen and the paper and I was like, here we go. <laughs> kind of write down the claim <laughs> and got to figure out, you yep. know, which to study. And, and there was a couple times that got me like, oh gosh, here we go. And it was, you know, they're talking about Greece and how honey, how healthy the honey and the different teas are. And I was like, oh gosh, here we go. You know, now everyone's going to think that you need to go buy honey and tea. And they did do that, but I think they were right really quick after to then bring in something else of the power nine. It would be like, and look at their social circle and look at their purpose in life. And they, and I think they brought that in quite well. So there were times when I thought they were getting a little bit down the rabbit hole of specifics, but then would bring it right back to that idea of it's never one thing. And so especially for a documentary, I have very few notes of it overall. I was like, okay, <laughs> that was pretty good. That was a pretty good representation of the fact that if you just go eat honey, we don't have better health, right? <laughs> um, I think my only I had, real- I had the same thought when they were talking about the uh, the purple sweet potatoes. Yeah. I was like, oh no, it's going to be this. And then it was this for, and then they kind of took three steps. I was like, oh, okay, got yep. it. Yep, it's exactly, that was another time for me for sure. I was like, oh, here we go. Um, I think my only real criticism, I might get the exact specifics wrong, but there's this anecdote, and I think it is towards the end of an individual who- was diagnosed with cancer and it was terminal cancer and they decided and they were in the states and they decided to move back home to a blue zone and they reacclimated to their non-industrial life and i think they ended up working on a vineyard and it and it turns out that they ended up living for many years and the comment that they got from the individual is they sort of forgot to die and i'm not doubting the story uh, but I would also say that there's countless miraculous stories here in the U.S. of cancer survivors that were thought that they would not make it and they made it and they didn't necessarily move to a blue zone and they didn't necessarily wildly change their diet and lifestyle. There's just so many factors that come into a play into play with a disease like that and so many unknowns, despite how advanced the science seems. And so I think my criticism of that is there's there is that little bit of a through line of like romanticizing natural is always better. You know, and I sort of am always just thinking when I see that, like, why can't we get the balance right? Why can't we admit what was so awesome and powerful of the blue zones without also always kind of bringing in, you know, modern medicine or conventional medicine is so terrible, too. And so that would kind of be my only thing. It's that romanticizing the everything about the pre-industrial era. Right. I love that. OK, so I'd love to get to a little bit more of the maybe your practical um, not takeaways, but like maybe what our practical takeaways can be from watching this documentary, from understanding the blue zones a little bit. Like, what can we do to take um, those really? They're quite frankly like they're very big ideas. These nine ideas, like they're very like this is this is uh, you do this for the rest of your life, <laughs> right? And maybe take them and bring them down to like everyday life. Any thoughts on like what our collective practical takeaways can be from what the blue zones have or are teaching us? Yeah. You know, I think I've used the uh, tagline, you know, nutrition with the reality check. And I, I think the Power 9 or even the 10 Determinants of Healthy Aging article is a really nice reality check. And it can be a nice way for anyone to kind of check in on that full picture. You know, if somebody's struggling with their diet and they feel like they keep beating their head into the wall with the restrictions and the binge cycle, maybe it's that step back. And is there another avenue in life that improving will be your unlock for nutrition? Again, we've talked about how exercise could be that unlock. But a, Maybe it's social support. Maybe it's understanding kind of the direction or purpose in your life could be, I think, just as pow powerful in, in cases. Or maybe somebody's already at their goal weight and they're already had these great fitness outcomes, but they've become so neurotic about their food choices and eliminations and health tech and biomarkers. <laughs> 
years. <laughs> and it's like, okay, maybe let's check in on the social support or building the right community of friends. And what's your daily stress redu- reduction practice or something like that. And to kind of just put effort into the other factors that are so probably glaringly obvious when we become so nutrition focused. And so I think whether or not you use the 10 determinants of healthy aging article, or whether or not you look at the power nine, I think for most people, there's going to be at least one that's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> right. And like I'm not sh- doing that in the sense of like, I'm doing that poorly. Is that what you mean? Doing that poorly. I, you know, yeah. I, I don't know if I've addressed this one at all. And of course I'm not going to encourage people to start drinking wine if they, they don't have that as a moderate habit already, <laughs> but out of the other ones, there's probably one that's like, yeah, I don't really do that. Or I don't really have that much in my life, especially relative to the effort that I'm putting into like the most optimal workout program or the most optimal nutrition plan. And so to kind of take that step back and think about how to redirect some of that energy um, there to kind of round out our health picture versus just staying focused on one thing. Yeah. Cool. Uh, last question, uh, as we wrap up this chat about the blue zones is align or, or along with what you're just saying there, we're kind of getting, getting a sense of where we are, maybe where we stack up across these nine. And I think you're, I think you're right. I think one of the things that f- folks like us can fall into a trap of is like, I'm just going to really focus on my fitness or my nutrition, or, you know, there are probably any other number of those that like, that's the most important thing. And I'm going to double and triple and quadruple down on that at the expense of the other things. Why, why do you think that happens? And we can, we can stay in the world of fitness and nutrition. Cause I think that's the ones that, that you and I have seen the most of, but like, why is it so easy for us to get so narrowed in on it's that thing? That's the answer. That's what I'm going to do. Even though if we were really objective about it, we would say like my 15 hours in the gym is really affecting my relationships outside the gym or whatever. My obsession over my glucose is really uh, affecting my ability to go out to dinner with my friends, whatever it might be. Right. Why, like, why do we get so myopic about like these, these little, these, no, they're not little things, but these few yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I do think it's hard to focus on nine things at once. <laughs> Like, how do we make progress in something? We always talk about, you know, taking small steps, like limiting the number of changes we have to make. So I also don't know that I want to be making the recommendation of like, and tomorrow set out on improving nine areas, (laughs) because that's just going to be overwhelming as well. Like you're just going to start calling all your friends, (laughs) all these stress breaks in the day and you get nothing done. I mean, that can be difficult as well. So I think there is a little bit of a balance there (laughs) of trying not to attack too many things at once, but I don't know. I sort of like the idea. I mean, this, I don't know, might sound really juvenile or something, but almost like you put this list on the grocery, uh, on the fridge or something like that, like a grocery list. And it's sort of like, right. Maybe I don't need to be worried about whether or not it's the oat milk creamer or the, I don't know, whatever else, the soy milk, you know, it's like, okay, hold on, like step back. Have I gotten down too far on one channel? Yeah. I love that. Maybe, and maybe this is, you know, what what we've been talking about, maybe not specifically these nine, specifically the blue zones, but like we've talked a lot about, you know, majoring in the minors Mm -hmm. and a version of what we're talking about here, whether it's the 10 from uh, um, healthy aging, whether it's the nine, it's like, these are the majors. So let's make sure we're majoring in the majors. Uh, We're going to have a chat about some uh, recent science in the news, some influencer dietitians being paid off by uh, companies to tell us things that perhaps aren't true. But first, I just want to make sure folks know about something that you offer, EC, uh, Lazy Macros ebook. 
So if you're out there, you're crushing the 800 gram challenge, you're ready for the next step, that's where Lazy Macros comes in. What is Lazy Macros? It's when we combine the 800 grams uh, of fruit and veg that we're eating every day with EC's recommended protein target, which we've talked a lot about here. The, bless, the best place to start figuring this out is the Lazy Macros ebook, chock full of the rationale behind the strategy, best practices for how to track protein intake, what to do if you follow a vegetarian or vegan diet, and much more. This is not a lightweight ebook filled with fluff. Trust me, I've seen it, I've read it, I know the amount of work EC put into it. Uh, it's jam-packed with solid info, practical tips, and the kind of no BS advice that EC is so good at delivering. You can get it at optimizemenutrition.com slash lazy macros, or even easier, just tap in the link or just tap the link in the show notes. EC, you sent me this article. It is titled Influencer Dietitians Were Paid Off by Corrupt Companies to Promote Unhealthy Foods. So that is what we're going to talk about because I would love your take on this. Uh, but quick summary of what the article is all about. It highlights examples of dietitians downplaying the risks of certain ingredients and promoting industry-friendly messages despite contradicting scientific evidence. This investigation was done originally by the Washington Post and the Examiner, and it raises concerns about the ethical implications and conflicts of interest involved in influencer marketing within the healthcare uh, industry. So where shall we begin this year? Uh, I don't know what we're going to call this, but this year, uh, review of the news. Yeah, I mean, I think I first want to just mention that, um, you know, I've had no payouts or partnerships or anything with any food product. Um, I just want to make that clear to my listeners. I think the only time I had an affiliate link so far to date is with SteadyMD, which was the primary care delivery service that I do not longer, I no longer have that. But I just want to make it clear that, you know, I haven't been paid by any group to recommend a certain food product. And that type of disclaimer or information needs to be upfront with any type of content if somebody is taught, is being paid. And that that's really the big problem with this is not necessarily even what the information said. Some of the information that was shared was actually accurate, but unfortunately then it becomes cloudy or it appears much more um, harmful or malevolent because people did not disclose the financial backing of that information, right? And so if somebody is being paid to say sweeteners are safe, which was a lot of that article, they have to say, well, yeah, and I'm being paid by the soda industry to say that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that sweeteners aren't safe, but it means that people have to be aware of that because, it, of course, it could be a potential bias. And that's one of the reasons that I don't want to you know, be involved with food products because it, it can totally influence your opinion of them. Um, so that's the really big problem. I think what's really, I guess, almost unfortunate about something like an article like this is there's so many different influencers that are just promoting poor information, unproven supplements that weren't necessarily called out by this, right? So this one, as far as I saw, was really attacking kind of diet sweeteners and people who didn't disclose that, where the reality is the data that we have on them are that they're safe. Conversely, there are people who might say, hey, affiliate link and bio, which I guess would be disclosing that they have a financial interest, but yet they're recommending supplements that we have no evidence for, or they're making claims like you need a continuous glucose monitor when it's not helping you at all. And so that was also kind of unfortunate about this is there are still some poor practices out there that were not brought to light. And that information is actually wrong. <laughs> you know, this supplement will help with your cognitive function or this fun this will help with, I don't know, your inflammation or something like that. And it's like, that's not what the data says. So that 
kind of didn't get called out at all. Mm-hmm. I think I was reading. I was reading uh, about something entirely unrelated, but it but it strikes me that it's it's basically the same argument or the same question I have, which is uh, a lot of time with science, it's you know there's this argument or this argument criticism could be like the that you're biased, right? You're you're not you're biased because you have a financial incentive, and so I just wonder, it, just your thoughts on like is is this the case or is it more the case that people are being financially incentivized to say something or is it that they believe the thing and that, and that's why they're saying the thing, if that makes sense. And it just so happens they're getting paid for it. In other words, does the money come first and that affects the belief or does the belief come first and that opens them up to taking money for what they already say they believe? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how something like that works. I don't, I would imagine, I think it was the American Beverage Association reached out to them because they wanted to run this campaign. Right. So in my mind, the incentive is coming from being paid. Now they might've already believed about it. They might've already believed it. And so that's why they said, yes, I want to take it. But that's why it's so important to disclose that. Um, I think there are, there's going to be plenty of cases where those dietitians did believe that they were safe. And then they're like, well, okay, I can promote that product. But it's just then unfortunate that they didn't follow through that. Like, yeah, this was an ad or something like that. Um, but then on the other flip side, I'm sure that maybe the money did convince people to go that way, right? I mean, I think both can happen. Is is your primary, or in your mind, is the primary challenge here, you said it a few times, just the disclosure and the understanding on, on the when we're on the receiving end of it, that there is a financial arrangement here that is in some way, of course, maybe not entirely, but certainly in some way, incentivizing the opinions that were on the receiving end. Is it the disclosure that's the issue? Or is it the the questionable science that is more of the issue? Or is it, of course, both? In my opinion, in this case, it's more of the disclosure, um, because like I said, the evidence does suggest that they're safe. It's interesting. It doesn't necessarily mean that somebody is biased because they get a financial disclosure. But this is where, you know, when you see somebody who's um, come out with a bunch of research and the only research that's been done on a topic is by them and it's been financially backed by a certain company, you're definitely going to be like, okay, well, let's see what another independent group finds. Now, thankfully, we have a good amount of research done on sweeteners that we kind of already have this independent confirmation by different groups coming to a similar conclusion that it's not all from the same person or the same lab saying one thing, right? We have lots of different bodies and people organizing and um, agreeing kind of on this on this conclusion. But um, yeah, I mean, it's important to understand how people might be influenced in drawing their conclusions. And so in my opinion, that that is the main issue here. Okay, last question is just, again, thinking about um, those of us, most of us, all of us on the receiving end of this information, if we get a lot of it, or if we just get a lot, how do you, like, how do you recommend, uh, that those of us who aren't going to go to PubMed deal with the, the onslaught of, you know, quote unquote health information on the internet? Like, how do we, is it like, cause, cause, you know, part of this article is, is criticizing to a degree, the lack of standards of of um, accountability, even though there are rules on social media, you're supposed to say this is an ad. You're supposed to say like actually uh, regulating that or, or actually like babysitting that is darn impossible, right? So, for those of us who are on the other side of it, how do we know that's believable or that person is believable or that like how like any advice on how to distinguish between? the the good and the questionable? I think it's really hard. Um, I think it's really hard. I think 
a lot of things that are exist in our current society as products to buy have been through a lot of regulation to get there and a lot of safety protocols. And I think that is almost the best reality check. I know that does put you in the position to then kind of accept the government beliefs about safety, but there are lots of kind of competing interests for something to get to, to be in the product space, stuff like that. And there's different independent groups that are looking and reviewing that stuff. And sweeteners are a great example of that. Like the government can say it's safe, but then you also have independent researchers who are doing research on it and finding that it's safe too. So I don't want to say that's a foolproof method, but I mean, it, if we're not going to be able to go to the research and kind of distinguish, okay, what's being said, it is hard. It is very hard. These people can be very believing. Um, I fell for a lot of stuff that I no longer believe online. And so I think sometimes, again, just sort of stepping back and thinking, okay, umpteen years have gone by of people before me. This product is existing for a long period of time. It's probably been tested a bunch of times and it still exists. I'm going to trust that it's safe. Thank you. All righty, see. Thank you. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Thank you for sharing the show with your friends and cousins and colleagues. That helps us continue to grow it, which we appreciate. EC and I will be back next week for another episode of The Consistency Project.